Well, we're going to talk about having to depend upon God when you're in a tight spot and when you're in a new place today. And it concerns our text this morning. If you have your Bible, would you meet me in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel? 1 Samuel. So you'll find 1 Samuel. Turn to the middle of your Bible. That's the book of Psalms. When you get to Psalms, go left. All right? And keep going until you arrive at 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're going to look at the entire chapter today, but I want to read 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. It's an incident, a chapter in the life of Israel's second king, King David. David. This was before he became king and helped form him as king. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag, that's a town in southern Israel, in Philistine territory. When David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. And they had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire. And their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, Because all of the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. This is God's word. The title of our message today is God's Providential Grace in my darkest hour. Say that with me. God's providential grace in my darkest hour. You ever had a darkest hour? You ever had one of those days when everything that could go wrong did go wrong? The day like the man In Amos chapter 5, verse 19. Don't turn there, just look it up later. Amos 5, 19 tells about a man who went for a walk in the woods and ran into a lion. 
The lion charged him, and the man ran for his life, and he barely escaped that lion, only to bump into a bear. That's what it says. And then that bear chased that man all the way home. And that man raced to his house and leaped up on the porch and dove through the front door and slammed that door shut and locked it tight and double bottled and barricaded it closed. And when the coast was finally clear, he stood up and he gave a sigh and he leaned his hand up against the wall. And that's when the snake slithered down and bit him killed him right there. Just wasn't his day. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And I think that's what we're reading here in 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're reading a chapter in David's life. Oh, you know this, don't you, church family, that we have so many different rooms in the mansions of our lives. And we just see a small part of one another when we're together. This is, this is a significant room in our lives, but it's just a small part. So often we think we see, the, we see a, a, a maybe a more cleaned up room in folks' lives. And, and, and we forget that maybe they have a, a disheveled closet. Well, I know I do. We see a space that's just, just not what we thought from someone like David. And this is one of those spaces here. 1 Samuel 30. You recall David, don't you? you? You recall how David was chosen by God to be Israel's next king. And how God had been preparing David since the time David was a little shepherd boy, killing lions and bears while protecting sheep. And you recall how God had put David before Goliath, and it was a one-shot kill. And you recall how God had then put David, this giant slayer, in the royal court of King Saul, where David played music to soothe Saul's tormented spirit. And you recall how God gave David victory in battle. And when God gave David victory, Israel chanted their own victory song. It was a song whose lyrics were, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. (laughs) And you recall that Saul's Scarcity mentality combined with disobedient folly led to his insane jealousy. God said to Saul, David's going to be your successor, Saul. It's done. Because man looks on the outside, but I look at the heart. The heart. But instead of humble repentance, Saul doubled down in a green-eyed manhunt. And he drove David out of Judah like that lion in Amos chapter 5. And so here in 1 Samuel chapter 30, David is a fugitive. And he's leading a band of 600 warriors and their families. And David begins this uneasy alliance with King Achish, who is a Philistine king. David's trying to bide his time from Saul. He's trying to stay alive. So he's in Philistine country, but he knows how the Philistines see him. 
He's not naive. He knows that they see him as a stench to Saul. He knows what Achish is thinking. Yeah, yeah, sure, you can stay in my backyard. Soon he'll be mine. So David has outrun Saul the lion, and thus far he has held off Achish the bear, and it's at a town named Ziklag where he gets bit. Achish had told David to go on back to Ziklag. Ziklag is this really no-name town. It's a small village. It's, it's like a little town out in the panhandle of Oklahoma. Beaver, Oklahoma. You been there? That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, you can stay in Ziklag. So David and his men are going back to Ziklag. Because Akish, Akish doesn't want... Well, he told David, I like you, but my generals don't trust you. So just go back home to your families and spend some time with your own. And, and it was a 60-mile trip back to Ziklag from where David and his men were. And so at an unhurried pace, it was going to take three days. And so verse 1 says that on the third day. That's why it says that. First, first two days is going to be a nice, pleasant walk along the coast. And then they're going to turn inland in southern Israel. And that's when it's going to get pretty hilly because they're going to, they, I mean, Israel's, I mean, it's, it's hills up and down and ravines. And, but they're anticipating an arrival that evening of the third day and they're going to get to be reunited with their wives and their families and their children. They miss them. It's going to be a happy reunion and they get close to the mouth of the city and that's when they sense that something just isn't right. You sense that before ever you go to a place and something's not right. What is it? What? what they should be hearing noise. They're not hearing noise. They should be hearing and seeing their children playing. And, and, and when they come to the mouth of the city, but they see to their shock smoke plumes. They see a broken gate of a, that small village. There's been an attack. The village has been sacked and no one is there. No one. It's a ghost town. And you don't have to tell warriors what they're seeing. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Look back up at verses 1 and 2. The Amalekites, they were just the perennial enemies of Israel, which had Saul destroyed them as the Lord God had told Saul to. This wouldn't be a problem. They made a raid against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one but carried them off. Their families were gone. Wives captured. Children kidnapped. Were they dead? Well, we know that they weren't dead. We're reading the story. They didn't know that. And if they weren't dead... Oh, God forbid, they'd be sold as slaves. They'd never see them again, ever. And then look at verse 4. It says, Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. 
And in the middle of their deep grief, something happened that had not happened before. Their grief grew a bitter root that ran deep into their soul. All of the people were bitter in soul. And they were ready to take a vote. That that hadn't happened before. And some of them wanted David dead. Scripture says they spoke of stoning him. Isn't that something? You can do all that God tells you to do. Your life can be in the center of God's will. Tell me that David's life was not in the center of God's will right here. It it was. I mean, he was in smack dab in the center of God's will. He was in the bullseye of what it was God had called him to do. You can have that kind of calling. You can have a calling to fulfill what you and others know is God's plan for your life, but that does not exempt you from tragedies in this sinful, broken, fallen world. It does not exclude you from hardship. It does not immunize you from the fellowship of sharing in Christ's sufferings, as the Apostle Paul says. And furthermore, it does not keep you from people who, though with you from day one, who know your heart, who know your character, who know your commitment to God, who know your your fierce stance on gospel truth, it still does not keep you from those who are ready to get rid of you on the day when everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Get rid of him, they said. Well, how is that going to help? How is killing David going to get their children back? They haven't thought that through, have they? They're just mad. They're bitter and angry. And the scripture says in verse 6, David was greatly distressed. Literally, he was in the narrows. He was in a tight spot. So see, not only did he have to deal with their grief, he's dealing with his own grief. His wife's and children were taken too. And now he's got to deal with their bitter anger. Have you ever been there? Have you? Hmm. Maybe you don't want to consider that room in the mansion of your life, but I'd like you to. What's your ziklag? Are you in a place where everything that has gone wrong did go wrong, and you cried your last tear, and you're out of strength, and you're out of energy, and you don't have enough electrolytes to form a tear in your eye so it can drip down your face? You're empty. You're out. And furthermore, you're out of time. They're looking for rocks. What's your ziklag? Job loss? Divorce paper served? Another cancer diagnosis? 
Identity theft. What a hassle. Parents' death. Children far from God. Just sky high medical bills, and you just <laughs> don't have it. What's your Ziklag? I'll bet, I'll bet some of us are living in Ziklag today. You're in a tight place. You're, you're greatly distressed. Now what? Now what? Verse 6. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David encouraged himself. David was made strong. David was sustained. David put steel within his soul in the Lord his God. That's what? Well, how did he do that? How did he do that? Well, here's how he didn't do it. He didn't strengthen himself in chemicals. He didn't strengthen himself on a spending, eating, or drinking binge. He didn't strengthen himself with pornography. He didn't numb his brain on Netflix. He didn't hop on a Peloton bike and proclaim, this is my church. Really? Furthermore, he, he, he didn't treat God, and, and I, I don't have a thing against Peloton bikes. Just don't call it church. <laughs> it's not a church. It's, it's a bike. Okay? It's a bike. Let's just call it what it is. I just had to say that. <laughs> but, but here's, but you see what I'm saying? He didn't go to idols to try to fill his desperate need for what only God could fill. That's my point here. And furthermore, he didn't treat God like a genie in a bottle. You know, just, just kind of rubbing it when times are tough. So, so verse 6 is not about asking God for spiritual Advil to relieve your moral headache. And then one more thing. Strengthening yourself in God is not just venting to God. I know how to do that. Yes, yes, yes. St. Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. But, but, but venting to the Lord is not the same as strengthening yourself in the Lord. To strengthen yourself in the Lord means that David prayerfully replayed the promises and plans of God and then he applied those promises and plans to his own life. And you need only look to the Psalms for evidence of some of those prayers. David had the ability to journal about who God is and what God is doing to situate his ziklag in the palm of God's incomparable glory. Hallelujah. 
So yes, Ziklag is in a tight space, but you are tightly in the hand of God. And there, will things, there are things you will hear God say in his word. But here are some things that you will never hear God say. You will never hear God say, oops. Uh-oh. I didn't see that one coming. Let me get back to you on that. You never hear, you never hear God say, say that. Because... David's ziklag is in God's hands. And, and therefore, David is a man committed to the infinitive absolutes of Almighty God. And that's why when we read Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. I shall not want. I've got everything I need. The Lord is my shepherd. That's why in Psalm 121, we read, I lift up my eyes to the hills, and where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's why we read in Psalm 62, verses 5 and 7, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Do you believe that, church family? Amen. David did. And he strengthened himself by immersing himself in the oceanic depths of God's truth. And he did this over and over and over and over and over. And he strengthened himself by reviewing God's provisions. He strengthened himself by replaying God's promises. He strengthened himself by soaking his soul in the precepts of God's truths. God's truths. God's truths. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8 says, You cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Here's something else that's true. Romans 8, 1. There is now, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 16, 20 gives us another promise. That the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. God's peace is not lethal to God's people. Only to God's enemy. But I want you to see that David not only strengthened himself with God's promises, he strengthened himself in prayer. David goes to the priest, Abiathar, and together they prayed. Together they inquired of the Lord. And this is a huge, huge distinction between David and Saul. Whereas Saul did not inquire of the Lord and did that which God had not told him to do. And whereas 
Saul, what is the king of Israel doing in a seance summoning a witch? Oh my goodness. David, though, sought the Lord, inquired of the Lord. What do you want me to do? Do you want, what do you want me to do? Do, do, you want me, do you want me to stay? Do you want me to just take the stones? What do you want me? Do you want me to go on a search and rescue mission? Help me. I have to know right now. And verse 8 says, pursue, go. You will surely overtake and rescue. So, so, Beloved, did you hear the lesson for us? We, we too have a priest. We have, we have a high priest. And what we need in our ziklag are people who will come alongside of us and fall on their knees with us before our high priest. Have you asked for someone to walk with you in your ziklag? Have you? Have you sought help for your ziklag? And have you made yourself available to someone who has requested help in prayer at their ziklag? We have a high priest. Let's together fall on our knees. For Hebrews tells us we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect was tempted just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then with confidence confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need if if you're doubting God's love the provisions are in his word if you're disbelieving God's grace read the promises of his word and if you're despairing over your ziklag, know that your ziklag belongs to God. Your ziklag is not out of jurisdiction of God's dominion. So the Lord told David, pursue, drive on. And so, so David says, oh, okay, okay, let's go. Well, he has the green light, but he has no coordinates. He's, he's going to have to move out with his skills. Okay? And this is where it gets good. So not far after David set out, his army comes alongside. His army comes alongside, basically what the scripture says is a discarded piece of human flesh. A half-dead Egyptian lay on the road. Verse 11, they found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. He hadn't had any food. He hadn't had any water in three days. And uh, don't overlook this person. See, a a lot of preaching stops at verse six. Keep reading. This is where it gets good. David meets this Egyptian and without, without knowing how much help this Egyptian will be, David feeds him. And do you notice the attention to the detail of the menu? Well, they gave him water to drink and they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisin. I mean, he had not eaten bread or what. It's so interesting, the detail of the meal. 
Bread, water, figs, raisins, his strength returns. David asks him if he knows anything about the Amalekites. And the man shrewdly negotiates his life for his uh, intel on this situation. He tells David where to find the family. And, and, and as this passage unfolds, there is an unwritten word that just hovers over the entire chapter that explains what's going on and how it is. God meets your need in your darkest hour and it is the word, here it is, providence. Providence, providence. Provideo, provide, pro, forward, for, video, to look, to see, and it's not to foresee as in to predict the future, but it is basically the phrase to see to it. To see to it. In providence, God says, I'll see to it. In providence, God says, I'll take care of it. Providence means that God sees to it that everything that he wants done gets done. Providence, it's God's way of utilizing the most unlikely people to get you to your next victory. Providence, you may have a day when everything that could go wrong did go wrong, but your terrible, awful, no good, very bad day remains in the hand of the God who will see to it that what he wants done gets done. Providence! God has his hand on every player and place. He's moving David where he wants him to be. And this nameless Egyptian, we don't even know his name. If he does not open his mouth, he is the linchpin. If he doesn't open his mouth, there is no rescue. There's no family. There's no children. There's no reunion. And time is of the essence. And David had the wherewithal to realize God's answer to his prayer was embodied in an abandoned, anonymous Egyptian stranger. No title, no rank, no money, no power, no pedigree. This is the Lord's supply. And so David bets the entire mission. Families, children, their lives, his own life on the word of someone he's just known a few hours. Providence. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him in his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. God moves in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Providence! You know who speaks about providence the most? You know? You're going to find out, Ramirez's. It's the missionaries. Yeah. Helen Roosevelt was a missionary in Congo in the 50s and 60s. She endured a tremendous amount of suffering. She was a physician. She'd been in Congo four years, and she, she started dealing with leprosy. And so she had ordered some medicine. Listen to what she writes. 
She said, eventually the box of supplies arrived. Together, my assistant and I opened it, and and we drew out this large bottle of 10,000 tablets of this new drug that had just replaced painful injections in the treatment of leprosy. And I picked up the bill, and it was $91. That was back then. Someone caustically, I reminded God that I had no money for paying this bill. Nothing. And I also reminded God that as he, the almighty God, had led me to start this particular clinic to treat leprosy, I I I was thus sure that he would pay the bill, which I slipped in my Bible. Well, the end of the month came. And the mission rules demanded that all bills be paid by the end of the month. No debts were allowed. There was no money available to meet this bill. No funds from which I could borrow. I mean, I, I, I was concerned. Why had God not provided? Such a sum would be nothing for him. It was the price of a cow, but perhaps it was a fortune to me. Three or four months allowance in those days. So I went to work on that Saturday morning. It was the first day of the new month with a sense of grievance against God. So I returned home at lunchtime. My assistant encouraged me to hurry, saying there was a brown envelope waiting for me. You know where this is going. Another missionary has sent it across, apologizing that he had received it in his mail the previous day and had not noticed that it was addressed to me from our field leader's office. I opened it. I shook out the money, carefully piled and laboriously counted. I pulled out the statement, and the total of that money came to, guess how much? $91. But here's the providence. The total was made up of three gifts. One gift from an unknown couple in North America. Another gift from two prayer partners in North Ireland. And another from a parachurch ministry in Southeast England. The North American gift had been on its way for four months. Traveling from Philadelphia to London, London to Brussels, and Brussels to the mission site. And every time there was a transfer, there was a certain percentage cost. And at the end, all three gifts had arrived together to make the exact sum needed and were designated for your leprosy work. And, And Helen said this, I did not have a leprosy work When the money was actually given. Providence. Well I guess you figured out they found the camp. And when they got to the camp. Verse 16 says. The Amalekites were spread abroad all over the land. Eating and drinking and dancing. And they were no match for 400 hangry warriors. And by the day's end, verse 18 says, everything was recovered. You've got to go through that passage there and you'll see the word everything. All, nothing was missing, great or small. David brought back Children came and wrapped their arms around daddy's legs. What a reunion. Oh my goodness. And so on their way back, a little incident happened at a place called Bezoa 
that kind of threatened to spoil God's providence. You see, 400 had actually taken the Amalekites because 200, they were just so flat exhausted. They, they did not have the strength to go down that ravine and then back out of it. They'd been, with, they'd been there with David all along. But they didn't have enough. They just didn't have enough oomph. They just didn't have it. And so David told them to stay back and watch the wagons. Just stay back and watch the wagons. And, and, and so some of those who had fought on the front line had the nerve to withhold the spoils. David objected. said, no, brothers, this is for us. This is for all of us. This is all of us. All of us. Those on the front lines and those who stayed with the wagons. Church family, look up here. Sometimes faithfulness is staying with the wagons. Hmm. Yeah, after, after what we've been through these past 16 months, God's been faithful. He's been faithful. He's, he's, been, faithful. he's been faithful through you. He's been faithful through your giving. He's been faithful through your prayers. He's been faithful through our funerals. He's been faithful in our births. He's been faithful to give us the technology to reach people that we've not been able to reach before. And because of this technology, people who are here in person now, join the church, been baptized, come to Christ. Some would like to be here in person. They can't right now. I'm just grateful we can connect online. We're a different church than we were March 2020. God's doing something new. And so sometimes faithfulness is just staying with the wagons. Sometimes faithfulness is opening, opening and closing doors. Hospitality. Sometimes faithfulness is pouring the coffee. Or serving in our children's ministry. Our children need teachers and mentors on Sundays. I've seen faithfulness happen on the other side of the cameras. And I thank God for his faithfulness through you. And here is where we get to the big idea of this chapter. You didn't think I was going to leave a big idea out, did you? <laughs> See, when you get to 1 Samuel chapter 30, you've got to read the story to appreciate the point. Because the point is about God's mysterious, inexplicable, providential grace. Here it is. God's providential grace comes perfectly timed to meet my desperate need. Uh, let me, you missed that. You missed that. Let me say that again. God's providential grace comes perfectly timed to meet my desperate need. Let's say the first part together. God's providential grace. That's the first part. It comes perfectly timed to meet my desperate need. Let's say it all now. God's providential grace comes perfectly time to meet my desperate need. This chapter is about God's providential grace. Because you see, from David's point of view, nobody took anything from the Amalekites. Verse 23, David says, God has given. Verse 23 says, God has preserved us. Verse 23 says, God has given into our hands the enemy. 
Now, now get this now because you see what we're learning is that not everyone in the middle of doing God's work has the perspective of God's eyes. The, the 400, yes, they all did God's work, but they weren't thinking God's mind. They, they were farther in and deeper down in what they did, but their problem was that they thought they did it. But David knew better. God's done all this. And so David codified into policy. That's verse 25. He made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. He codified this policy into law. In battle, the frontline soldiers will get the same spoils of war as those who guard the ordinance. What's that? That is David starting to act like a king. Here's how we're going to do it. Here's the culture that we're going to create as the community of God. We're going to acknowledge what Paul would acknowledge in 1 Corinthians 12, that we are one body with many parts. And and all the parts are not the same, but they belong to the same body. And we're also going to be united as a community. That's why David said, even to the legalists, my brothers, you're my brothers, come on. We're a community. We're a family. We're a people. We're going to acknowledge that everything we have comes from the Lord. We didn't earn it. God gave it. God gave it. And so there at Ziklag, this place where David was bit, became a place to celebrate God's providential grace. It's a place where God's enemies were crushed. It's a place where God's gracious gifts were distributed. It's a place where God's goodness was handed out. It's a place where God's bounty was spread to God's people. It's a place where God's people saw their king. (laughs) Oh, I like Ziklag. It reminds me of another place. A thousand years later. A place on a hill. Golgotha, the place of the skull. A place where David's descendant, David's heir, the son of David, would be bit by a snake, the snake of death. And it's the place where this son would strengthen himself in his heavenly father. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because whereas David was not stoned, this son of David was crucified. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And it was a place where Jesus would die but not stay dead. For in his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus Christ was supernaturally raised by his heavenly Father. He ascended on high. He led captivity captive. He gave gifts to those who are on the front lines, to those who watch the wagons. It's all by grace. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I'll say it one more time that I need to sit down. God's providential grace, God's providential grace comes perfectly timed to meet my desperate need. Amen.